Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. As a leader, your job is to know the context and translate the context. You have the benefit of seeing more things, but less deeply. And your job is to kind of gather these informations and help other people understand it. And so people forget, like, you know, you think you're an engineering leader. You think it's actually about making things. It is, but it's also about translating, especially at scale. You're, you're not making anything anymore. You're enabling other people to make. And in order to do that, you've actually got to be translating and providing context, right? Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast, brought to you by ELC, the Engineering Leadership Community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. It's the new year. Maybe you're looking for a reset. Maybe you're looking to better anticipate and make an impact in your engineering org, or maybe you're like me and you're looking for inspiration for how you spend your time outside of work. Well, this episode has a little bit of all of that. Andrew Lau, CEO at Jellyfish, returns to the show to share some of the most critical engineering management principles that you can develop and invest in right now as we transition from 2023 into 2024. We talk about how engineering leaders can become more resilient and adaptable in this new year why honing your financial acumen right now is going to be key to 2024, and how you can better plan ahead to face upcoming technology and industry challenges regardless of what happens. Plus, we also preview Andrew's new podcast, 5 to 9, aimed at identifying the meaningful ways that engineering leaders spend their time outside of the office, which to me is an absolutely perfect New Year's topic. You can find Andrew's podcast, 5 to 9, wherever you get your podcasts, and we also have a link to it in the show notes. I don't know about you, but I love the optimism and the reflection that New Year's brings. And this new podcast is helping me catalyze all of the different hobbies and activities that I know I want to take on this year. So I hope that it equally inspires you. Enjoy this conversation with Andrew Lau. Here we go. Monday morning. Andrew, I think like the, to begin, I was just going to say like, uh, when I was thinking about podcast Monday morning can be kind of hard because like warming up, you know, you're trying to think about the week and you've got all these things coming up. But when I was thinking about our conversation, I was like, this is actually the, probably one of the best ways to start the week. So I um, just want to say thank you for for coming on, joining, hanging out. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. Because I like Mondays are hard. You have this list on Sunday of things you're going to do. And this is on my list of things I look forward to. One, I, I enjoy hanging out with you, but I also think there's an easy way to go about this because I think we've got good back and forth, but also like these topics are interesting, so it's easy to just jump into. And so not a lot of prep needed here. Absolutely. To set some context here, so we're going to talk about a couple things. So one, it'll be about a few things that engineering leaders can reflect on to help them prepare for a higher impact 2024. But then we have some fun in store. You know, we're going to talk about and preview your new podcast, 5 to 9. So we got a couple good topics involved there. I, I love your orientation. What to think about as the as the year closes, as we're less than you know twenty days out from the end of the year. It's been what a year, and so how to actually think about it, how to tackle it for the next one, and it's good reset mindset around how to think about it to make next year just shine. 
Absolutely. And, and he, so here's why I was, I was really excited about this, uh, specifically chatting with you. You spend a ton of time thinking about like the, how the nature of engineering leadership has to change or is changing. And you've already brought a ton of great insights, both to our podcast, but also to the different conferences and things that we've had. 2023, it was all about principles to evolve with Gen AI and the implications there. And then even in 2022, it was like how to survive the impending economic crunch. So what's kind of fun is like, this is almost like our annual checkup. But I think what special is it's a little more forward looking and we get to sort of deconstruct what's going on in the moment and help folks here. So what are you noticing right now? Like about this moment in technology as like we're transitioning from 2023 to 2024. And yeah, what are you noticing? What are the implications? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I come here with empathy, right? Because I'll just say it, you know, not for everyone, but a lot of people out there, the last few years have been hard. And maybe we sound like a broken record, but I think it's important to highlight that. And I, and I think the part that's made it hard for, for everyone is the state of constant change, right? If you play back the last, you know, three years, talk about this, you, you know, we have health crises, we, we have go-go times, we have go-go slowdowns, we have hit the brakes, we've got AIs coming for you. It's, it's, it's this perpetual change, right? And, and so it's almost like that instability is what's got everyone tired and stressed in that whole part. You know, people use the word like new normal. And I think there is something to that. But I think the new normal is actually like, it's almost like there isn't going to be a normal, right? Um, and I think part of this now is we, we get to sit back and reflect and think about, okay, we're seeing this. How do we tackle the world differently? And maybe this sounds a little bit like people, people were saying last year, but I think we've now lived it for a few years now. And I, and I think that's causing everyone to kind of really take the big step back and ask like, okay, you know, how do I make this work? How do I make this work for me? How do I make this work for my team? How do I make this work for my family? Um, it, it's been building up. And I think this is a great time to reflect and reset on all of those things. Yeah. And so that's why I care a lot about it. And I, I think like, you know, going back more to, you know, how do I make this work for me, my team or my family? you know, this is a very reflective time of year. Like, what are you thinking about as the year turns on? Like, what are some of the reflective questions that you're thinking about, about like your team, your family, or your business as like you begin to transition into the new year? To your your family, like, are you, you know, are you being there for them? Are they happy with you, right? Like, you know, just because you've been in crisis doesn't mean they haven't been in crisis either. We all have to make it work at home. And I've learned if you can't make it work with your own family, it's very hard to make it work too. It's one thing to sprint for six months and, and for your family or you to be patient with yourself and stuff like that. But it's another thing to be like, hey, this is three years of this now. And it's like, how do you make it work? And so I think there's a bit of thoughtfulness that actually has to come in and ask that question. To your team, same thing, right? Like we've asked, you know, people have been girded in and they, they, the world's gone crazy one way, then crazy back the other. And like, it's it's... You know, there's remote, hybrid, in-person, like there's all these things back and forth. And I think one has to ask, like, to, does it work for them too? How should it evolve to actually make it better? I mean, to the business, I, I think actually, you know, for me, this is actually a really important part at the end of the year. I, I think many companies are going through a budgeting exercise right now. I would even argue probably more than likely immature smaller companies are still going through it. And this has been a theme, which is like, I, I think, you know, the reality is that some people thought in, in 21 that all businesses were, were like, oh, they're, they're not real businesses. But now, like, everybody has to be real business. And that's causing um, a lot of pressure, a lot of, you know, alignment, a lot of figuring out, like, how does, you know, this engineering thing fit in with the business? Like, it's not just an intellectual pursuit. Many people probably have their CFO chasing them around the, you know, around the table a few times over right now, you know, running ready for board meetings and board calls to kind of ratify budgets. Or, or maybe those are like, or, or January aligned or just starting to enter that process now. But either way, that's like a forced reflection and, and not just a forced reflection of today. It's a forced projection of next year, which is, I think, a tremendously uncomfortable thing for many people to go do. So I think those things are all 
coming into <laughs> coming into lens and 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 that's the why right along with the normal end of the year stuff it just comes from a kind of secular like how we run our lives perspective but this is you know, the business world is pushing it too so thinking about the state of where businesses are at moving into the new year i think one of the topics that's come up that has been really interesting is this idea for how can an engineering leader leading in their org or leading different teams or significant headcount build resilience or become more adaptable in this new year, given the constraints, the pressures, and the greater focus on what they do and the direct connection to the value that it's providing for the business. Like, How are you thinking about that for how leaders can build resilience or adaptability? One, what have we learned in the last three years? Uh, last three years, expect the unexpected. And so I think there is no longer a posture where you can just kind of coast and just do what you did last year thing. It doesn't work anymore. You you have to just both gird yourself and prepare the organization that things are going to constantly change. Every three months, it's going to be the game is different. I, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. You know, the game keeps changing. And that is the reality. There is no like, hey, let me just get through one more of these. It's not. It's just, this is the new normal. It's just a lot of that. The world moves fast and it is constantly um, evolving that part. So one, just expect that unexpected. Expect that dynamicity. The second one is actually, as a leader, your job is to know the context and translate the context. You have the benefit of seeing more things, but less deeply. And your job is to kind of gather these informations and help other people understand it. And so people forget, like, you know, you think you're an engineering leader, you think it's actually about making things. It is, but it's also about translating, especially at scale. You're, you're not making anything anymore. You're enabling other people to make. And in order to do that, you've actually got to be translating and providing context, right? And so I think that context in either direction, whether it's to the business or to the engineering team, to a product team, I mean, those are critically important. That is the role. By the way, this makes me a fun riff on the, the world keeps changing. What's the old, this is going to date myself. Remember the little Ferris Bueller? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, all right, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it, right? So I think there's a bit of that meme that goes on, which probably dates myself, but I do love a little Ferris Bueller. I, I love it. And I, I mean, when you're talking about how fast things change, I mean, we've had a couple checkpoints this year in a way that has helped me feel sort of the pace, the pace of change. And I mean, it, it's, the, you know, probably cliche at this point to talk about like the generative AI, like evolution and everything like that. But I think what's interesting is like from the events that we've had, August was our conference, that was a big topic. And then we started to do a series of, of different executive dinners, probably once a month. And that that four week difference was just leaps and bounds of like in terms of what you're talking about and the the orders of issues that you're dealing with. And so for me, it was like, wow, if you are not constantly talking to people specifically about like this challenge, then you're going to miss it. The The pace of change there was, was ridiculous. In some ways, all of this can be true. Like I, I think, you know, the, the grumpy part of me, the older part of me might say like, well, actually nothing does. If you, if you take a step back, it, like everyone's hyperbolic left or right and the world's actually probably somewhere in between. But it is to know the lingua franca, to know the state of the art, to know how people are actually attacking these is moving just tremendously fast. And to even keep up with all of that is in itself its own art. If your job is to provide context and translate, then you kind of have to keep up with these things, right? And that's a hard thing, but that is part of the job, right? No one told you that was the case, but that's part of the job. Keeping up and translating requires like like paying attention, but also going deeper and understanding the whys and unpacking these things for other people that don't have the time or wherewithal or the purview or the experience to know how to bring the context to things. And so that's a big part of it. Absolutely. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. 
Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. So I, I want to talk about then like where can engineering leaders focus their time in terms of like building skills and capabilities? And I think the context here is like in terms of Jellyfish's area of focus, providing like an engineer management platform, the thing I think about is like, not only like do you help like empower engineering leaders, like make better decisions, but I think what's special is like you could also identify like the people gaps or like the human gaps in terms of helping influence decision and change. And so that like point of view is something that I always really appreciate getting a chance to get into is because when you're looking at the synapses of leadership decisions and where the gaps are. And so when you're talking about an engineering leader preparing for 2024, are there certain areas of focus or skills or capabilities that they can double down on? or develop that's going to help them build resilience or adaptability or just better interface with the business? You know, strategic alignment and financial acumen are the two areas I'll, I'll bucket into. On the strategic alignment part of it, I think one of the things you're finding is companies are going through kind of more, you know, budget constrained environments, like a non-2021, all you know, yes to everything days. Companies have to make trade-offs, right? They have to make choices. And, and the reality is making a choice is, is, it's not just a business decision. It's not just a technology decision. It's the synergy of both. For an engineer leader, if translation is a big part of it, you have to understand, you know, what the company needs to succeed. Like, what's going to take to get the next round? Or what's it take to kind of like um, generate a bunch of profitability? Or what's it take to survive? These are all business constructs. And, and if you unpack them, there are things that actually have to be done. And so I think if you don't understand that part of the why, the strategy of the environment, of the ecosystem and the choices you have to make, then there's no way in hell you can transcend build bridges to help make the best technology decisions either. Right. And do the other way, right? You know, your job is to actually help, you know, the business folks understand like the technology decisions and why, right? It's not just we have to do this thing because it's a great framework or because it's just we actually have to do well. It's like, well, how is it gonna help the business, right? And the language of the business is it gonna help retention, is it gonna change expansion? Is it gonna change, is it a bet? We don't know, but like we're gonna try this thing. How many bets can we take? You kind of need to actually help contextualize the technical choices. But in order to do that, you actually have to think a little bit around the strategy, right, where you're going and then see map the two. And, and I'm not asking anybody here, if, you know, to be like the super strategist and this stuff. But I think it's to understand it because we all are going to reinterpret it different ways. The other one is actually financial stuff, financial acumen. That may sound super boring, um, but um, I, I was actually at a dinner down in Austin recently and sitting down with a with technology leader. We were riffing about this and we we're just talking about engineering curriculums, including masters and stuff like that, and how we kind of really wish there were some basic business classes in there. Both of us were reflecting, we're probably both in our 40s at this point, and like, should I think about like, hey, I wish this was actually part of the core curriculum? Because the reality is, like, most of us these days work in businesses. <laughs> we have businesses, and businesses have their own language and lingua franca and things they actually do. They have, you know, the, the business world today is driving along. we do. We, we were businesses. So people seek funding, they seek acquisitions, they seek IPOs, they seek profitability, they seek these things. And all these things kind of fit together, right? I think if you don't understand the business, then one day the CFO comes calling me like, I need you to cleave this Amazon cost in half. You're like, what, what, why? I can't buy this thing. I don't understand. Or you need you get no new headcount extra. You're like, what, why? They promised me like to a team of 200 people, but we're barely at 40. You're like, why? Right. And 
And I actually think it'd be easy to say, oh, those people are jerks, right? They're, I mean, maybe they're jerks, but they're not jerks, right? They, it's, it's because they, they are working in a, you know, they're trying to solve for a business condition and a business case. And if you don't understand what those things are, then it feels like these random things are just flying through and hitting you on the head. When actually, if you probably understood them, you can not only better translate them for your team and vice versa, but you could probably see it coming and you could get ahead of it and, and you could realign your team to kind of, and actually nail it out of the park, right? And get what you want out of this too. But if you're obtuse to it, then the stuff just comes out of left field and you're behind. I think you have to start at actually understanding. And I, and I mean, it could be simple things. is like understanding, like, I mean, again, if you're venture-backed, how valuations work and why and what are the metrics they care about and why, like, you know, is it about running out of cash? Is it about financial metrics? Is it about choices, right? Like, what do these clients look like? Like, what does margin mean? What does gross margin mean? Like, what's operating margin mean? Why are we chasing those things? Why do we need to be this? Like, you know, 2021 is probably just about headcount. Like, everything about headcount, right? A lot of companies now don't have changing headcount or, you know, or changing the other direction. That's really hard. And how do you convey progress to your team? And sometimes it's about, like, I hope it's about the great things we're making, but even the things you make are there for a purpose. And so how do you align folks on what we're trying to, you know, what winning looks like? Like, I think people don't even like his example of translation. They don't know what winning looks like. I think intuitively a few years ago, winning looked like just adding another hundred people. Easy peasy. Winning is relative, right? How do you know we're doing a good job? And like, how do we know this is good? We have a whole industry, all of us that have not learned that. And we all wish, back to my statement of the world's changing, we always wish there was like one answer forever. But the answer is if there's not one answer forever, it's constantly changing. And boy, is it changing really fast, right? Like, and, and that's an example of like both understanding the, the basic fundamentals of the, of the financials and why, but then also understanding how they come in and out of vogue and how they're changing along with this moving landscape. And then how does that trickle in to how your team actually needs to both change and how they're excited by the situation? And how do you play for that? All of that stack and that translation starts with actually understanding the financial basics on that stuff and then layering on the strategy on top of that. So I want to go back to what you're talking about with engineering strategy and business alignment some of the the two core things that you shared, like number one, if you don't understand the business, then you're going to be blindsided by some of these different challenges that the business is trying to solve for. Uh, the second you're talking about, like, you know, context is everything. Your job is to translate context. Like when you're, when you're thinking about an engineering leader and like this skill of helping bridge engineering strategy and business alignment, like what are, what are some of the common gaps that you're seeing where these are the these are the gaps that you've seen engineering leaders like trip over time and again that are probably areas where folks listening in may be missing. In general, like I think a lot of us have all learned about process things. We've learned to speak in, you know, whether it's process like agile processes, whether it's Scrum or Kanban or these things, or door metrics and stuff like that too, right? Around uptime and those things. But I actually think even all of those things still aren't sufficient for the business. Those themselves, I think, are necessary, not sufficient. And so they, those don't represent strategy. Those are, you know, they're metrics, right? Like they help us understand some operational parts, some progress on those things. Mistake one is I think people realizing that the business wants to hear those things as the way to interface with engineering alone. I don't think it's enough. Like, yes, we have to make sure our sprint's complete or yes, we have to deploy quickly and those things. Yes. But even if you do those things and you're building the wrong stuff or it's not getting there or it's smeared too many ways there, the business might still fail, right? Crappy as that may sound. And, and so part of this is probably leading with the wrong engagement. 
is it kind of a mistake? And you know, how do you solve for that? Well, you should ask, right? Ask what the business needs. But that's just that's a minimum floor on how to engage. But like, how do you actually nail the right thing for the business? Well, like I think efficiency and cash and and like spend and burn are things that people care about a lot right now. Why? Because sometimes for some companies, because it's like bank accounts might run out. Or if you're a you know public company, you're getting squeezed by, you know, the public markets actually asking you to move these needles on this stuff. And so like as an example, in this climate, right, it's not just enough to say, like, hey, we need this many more people. Like a couple of years ago, it'd be like, I this many people. And then people might say, well, well, what do you get for that? The next response is going to be like, well, you, you, you know, you're going to get this wing and this engine on the airplane. Right. Well, I think in 2023, 24, that's still not enough. So what if you have a wing and an engine? Whoop de doo. Now what? No, but th this wing will actually help us fly harder. It'll actually help us sell more. Or at least we have some guests of it might do that. And and so like the business might have, you know, choices to make. They only have so many dollars to push forward, right? And so do we want to fund that extra wing or that extra engine or rebuild, rebuild that control system? We can go further than just saying this is the thing we're making. Right? That's a starting point. But what do we get out of that, critically speaking? And how do we make this airplane just run faster? What does faster even mean for your organization? Is it about delivering more things? Well, delivering more things, does it help you sell more stuff? Or does it help you, you know, customers are happier with those things? And so I actually think we're to the point now, it's the good part is I think as an industry, I think we're, you know, I think it can be viewed as not fun, probably isn't fun, but I actually think that we're going to tie the pieces together, there'll be more acuity brought together because all these things actually have to combine. And I think that's an important part of that evolution of things. My other reflection, by the way, Patrick, as we're talking through this, is, is it actually has to do, which a little bit of this, but this, this, this jointness around the concept of timelines, okay? So, like, we've just spent 15 years talking about the, the great parts of Agile. And I think we actually have all learned many things that Agile de-risks the business, de-risks delivery, de-risks those things, which is great. Like, I think there's nothing bad about that from a delivery standpoint. But I think the part that I think is still not sufficient about there is that businesses need to build a plan for a year out or two even. And that's crazy. You're like, frick, that's like really far, right? Like we're, we're sprint planning like three sprints and there's you know, a lot of rhetoric around why you can't do it. But the reality is the business world just does, right? They fundraise that under, you know, air quote promises for the next couple of years. They ratify budgets that sketch out things for the next year. Is it going to be right and perfect? No, but they just do, right? I think the obtuse to ignore the fact that the system does that. I think like we have to be relative, like they're like all these comments I'm making are relative stage dependent. I think some listeners might be out there being like, dude, I got like 10 people on my team and wait, we're, we're just making the thing. There's nothing to sell. Heard. Got it. Congratulations to those folks. You're, you're, at, a, you're at a fun point in time. Um, so I'm probably not speaking to that. Like you probably don't need a year time. You don't know what a year is going to be from now. You're not ratifying a budget for a year for that company. It's so, like you don't need to hear from me on this. But but if you're anything that's successful, you will. Right. Because at some point, money isn't infinite and you can't just make stuff and throw the spaghetti on the wall. Like there's beginning of the wall might be the right thing to do at a certain stage of the business, right? You know, and you can't plan what spending is going to stick. But as companies mature, you fundamentally are in an ecosystem where you're actually making trade-offs. And for good or bad, the business world starts to make trade-offs on an annual basis. And yes, they can recheck in on budgets. And yes, they can do quarterly realignments and all of these things. But businesses, the financial world, generally works on an annual basis. And it might be annual by January off, so it might be annual mid-year, but they generally plan annually. And so this is where this dissonant thing, which is we do this world where we're like, we're lucky to plan for two weeks. And yet, you know, the business is making choices on behalf of you for like 50 weeks later than that. And so like, I think an obtuse answer is just ignore it. Because what actually ends up happening is not that you ignore it. Someone else makes the call for you and that's even worse, right? And so like, there's this whole missing skill set here for all of us. We never talk about it. Like, yes, 
teams are most effective if they can actually like kind of work in a world of two weeks out and I'm picking one framework, for example. But the business is successful if you actually can plan a year or two out and, and boy, is that brain exploding. So we're like, but I don't even know which is going to work and which of those things, right? And you're right. But like as bad as you are about guessing what the years look like, I bet you, you know, a finance person making that guess here, but that's even worse than you are. So wouldn't you rather you make the guess on that stuff? And it doesn't mean... Like, I think people get religious being like, this is set in stone. No, it's a budgeting exercise. You know, people are putting this together to actually clear, you know, um, a board's approval or something like that. But then you move on and you adapt accordingly. I don't think this means, like, you know, the world's telling you to waterfall it out. But it does need to believe. It does need to have a believable plan for the next year because it's an expression of where our best guess is on, on where things are going to play out. And I think that's part of it. And so do you think the finance person's going to come and do the translation? Probably not. Right. So it comes back to the, to the leadership part of it to do the translation. And, and so this goes to like, yeah, understanding what the last year looked like, understanding how much we're spending on bug fixing, understanding how much we spend on forms of maintenance or KTLO. What are the different kind of new features we're doing and how is it going to actually impact strategic bets on this thing? And understanding like, hey, of all the new things, which ones are actually going to move the needle? Which needles? And how much? That's the job. And sometimes people will be like, okay, well, that's a product job. And it's true. It's product. But it's also engineering. We're part of the technology decisions. We're part of the maintenance factor. You can look at your historicals and understand what those costs were. Model it forward. If you spent 15 people in bug fixing every quarter for the last year or two, you know, lie to yourself and assume it's going to go to zero. No, you shouldn't. As much as we might wish it, let's get realistic. And, and I think part of this is like that kind of shepherding has got to come from this kind of leadership we're talking about because it's not going to come otherwise. You can help the company make the hard decisions on that stuff. So I, I think it's around these times that I think it's really important to contextualize in both directions, level up that visibility and help people kind of get across the finish line. I want to jump really quickly into the financial acumen elements that you brought up because you know you and I were talking a little bit beforehand and and this is the thing that doesn't get taught. It doesn't matter until it all of a sudden immediately does. Like as an engineering leader, like you are focused on a lot of different things. And then now all of a sudden, it's headcount, budgeting, forecasting, all of that. Uh, and it's not a part of the onboarding. And so I was wondering if you could share maybe the questions that engineering leaders need to answer as it relates to financial acumen or like the skill gaps that they can focus on on building to help them build this fluency in 2024. Well, here's the good news. Like, you know, 20 years ago when I was going to start, there's no blogs about this stuff. There's lots of blogs about these things now. People really do need to know things around what margins mean, what gross margins mean, what operating margins actually mean. Why do businesses care about it? Well, it turns out they care these days because of fundraising, public stock multiples or stock price or acquisition targets, all those things. You know, what those things mean. And, and, and then I think it's easy, like, as I rattle through these, to be like, oh, I intellectually know what they mean, but like, okay, now connect it. Like, how does it apply to your team, right? So like, you know, it could be something like, hey, this is why they're, they're hammering me on Amazon costs. This is why we're actually kind of needing to actually, you know, take down, you know, some of our, our spend on this stuff. Or why there, there's so much pressure on the SaaS software thing. Hey, are we actually going to really use the second database on this thing? I think it's really important to understand what comparables look like, right? Like, I, I think, you know, just to understand, like, hey, if, if you guys are successful, the street's going to push you to 20% of your revenue is going to be your engineering costs, right? And, and so, you know, like, hey, to your A-Rack company, I think you're a long ways from that. At some point, you need to do that. Or D-Rack company, getting close, like, hey, this is a thing you're actually being managed to. And, and then start understanding, like, what a comparable company is. Like, hey, a comparable company... With your stage, and you can get these from your different, you know, your banks have them sometimes, some of the venture VCs have them, 
the V firms have them, but like, what are the measuring sticks for holding all the other companies to? Because you're probably going to help to those. So get ahead of those and understand what those mean. I think there's also like, like a bunch these days around things like rule of 40 and burn ratios and, and like, what, you know, what is the thing you're being measured on your company? What is your CEO? What is your board? What is your investors? What is your public investors? What are the, you know, what are people actually asking of that? Um, what metrics should you be looking like? And then how does it apply to you? It's interesting. Like all this stuff is very accessible. So some people are just like totally don't, I don't deal with that stuff. Well, I think you should deal with it. And some people are like versed in it. They read a lot of this stuff, which is awesome. Like better than when I started out. But they can intellectualize it, but they forget to make the connection. I was like, okay, well now let's talk about it in terms of your team. You know, I think that there's also this kind of shock factor. People are going to be like, but a public company's measured this way and we're that way. You know, I hate to tell you this, this is probably the shock factor, you know, your board or your CEO is going through right now too. Um, they're just probably six months ahead of you on it. So the question is, like, you probably don't fit into the box today. Um, and by the way, you can't appease all of these things. That's why I think it's important to actually know what they are and kind of spelunk your way to understand what matters to your company. Because they, you know, just because those are framework doesn't mean which one of the numbers you're trying to manage to. Because they actually could be in conflict, actually, some of these things. Like growth rate. Are we talking about revenue? Are we talking about bookings? Are we talking about ARR? Which one of these things do you guys bill annually, monthly? What does this mean? I think your role in this is like, you may or may not meet to where you want to be today. Frankly, no one's where they want to be exactly today, because if they were, they'd already be there and, and we'd all declare victory, but you're not. So the art and the what I think the world is asking for you is like, okay, like this is the new measuring stick. Like, how are you going to get there? How are we going to get there? How are we going to get there and over what time interval, right? What are the steps along the way? But in order to do that, you have to understand the basics first. I know I just threw a bunch of jargon out there, but I think they're all applicable. And again, different people in different businesses are going to, cherry pick different ones. But I would encourage that part of it to see what your business is talking about these things. See, you know, what the CFO talks about, see which acronyms they're rattling off, the CEO's asking for, because they'll have implications as a team. And, and if you did know that, then you'd know ahead of time before this said budgeting process or between, before the CFO shows me your step asking for changes in X and Y, you, you'd probably know why and you could actually understand either how to actually put a clear case of why I think we should deviate from these things and what's the strategic advantage in that stuff. Or you, you could actually get ahead of it and you start managing to that conclusion even before they show up. So again, this comes back to bridging translation and context on these things. It's this union of, of you know, engineering technology choices, strategy, and, and, and financials like all together, right? That's that kind of, it's the new iron triangle in this case. I absolutely love the the last point that you make to that. Like if you understand these things, then you can put together a clear case to deviate or to get ahead. And I think about like why we started this conversation in the first place. It's about helping people adapt and anticipate. And I think that's a big part of the the resilience is that you can anticipate the if you understand where the business is going, why it's getting there and how that connects back to you. So I think it's really powerful to switch topics pretty quickly, Andrew. This is an exciting time for you because you're in the process of launching your own podcast. Tell us about it. Uh, you know, first off, what is it? And what's the premise of the show? And then like, let's get into it a little bit. So we got a new podcast coming up. It's called Five to Nine, a little riff on the uh, Dolly Parton nine to five. But it's all the stuff that actually happens after your laptop closes. And the premise here is a couple things. Like I've had the pleasure of just meeting some amazing engineering product technology leaders over the years. And, and I think they're not just amazing for what they do formally at work, but also all the kind of crazy cool stuff that they actually do after, right? And sometimes it's about keeping yourself sane and like these are things that kind of keep your mind straight. But I also think it makes them better leaders, right? Because I think they actually like are able to kind of inspire people with all these kind of neat things that they're introducing people to. Uh, makes people want to be around them, makes them stronger leaders in that way. Probably breeds some subconscious creative thinking in their kind of 
you know, formal day-to-day work. And so I think part of this was to actually highlight some of these folks and kind of tell the whole story and really paint the picture of what a complete leader looks like, the whole self on this case, and, and, and celebrate that a little bit and, and have a little fun along the way and not take ourselves too seriously. We didn't need to hear another conversation about how to run a sprint retro or something like that. And so something more fun there. And hopefully I think it inspires others to say like, hey, these are some amazing leaders and they make it work somehow. And, and we can all make it work somehow. And my part in this is to highlight folks because I think as engineering and technology leaders, we're probably a little introverted. We probably forget to share these things. And we're good nerds usually too. So we get deep and we're passionate and just get a chance to highlight and see some of that is the inspiration behind that. I am obsessed with this topic because this is something, you know, Jerry Lee and I talk about a lot in the premise for why ELC is because if you can impact a leader and how they show up at work, then you could impact the people they work with and you could impact all of these other downstream effects. And so I think this idea of focusing on what, how do people spend their time outside of work? How do the people find meaning and value and cultivate interests and hobbies? Like to me, that's like, that's the missing opportunity for impact. You know, for me, I'm also in the hunt for hobbies. So for me, there's one person that comes to my mind. He was a former staff engineer uh, and he does like wing foiling and like wing surfing and kite surfing and everything like that. So he he reaches out to me every three months. He's like, Patrick, we got this camp coming up. Like this is your time to do it. And so like, I need more of those influences (laughs) in my life. Like the people that can help inspire like aspirational activities that help you cultivate joy, excitement, energy meeting. So I'll just say I'm obsessed with this topic idea. I think it's so cool. I can't wait to hear the first episode. And part of it too, by the way, is not just, hey, how do you get a wingsuit? What's the, what's the crazy brands you get? But it's also probably like, how do you manage the fear in that thing, man? Like, I, I'd be scared. How do you work it out with your partner? I mean, that's like a risk. And how do you deal with, you know, training regimen must be hard and weather patterns matter a lot. So you got to move on a whim. How do you, how do you reconcile this case where a release has to go out or something's gone sideways on an incident and you've got this big trip you've planned and how do you make it work? And that's the really interesting part of it too, because if you can, you know, figure out how to make it work then other people can figure out how to make it work because like we can just, you know, Google hobbies all day, but it's other people that are like us in this thing and they've made it work somehow. So that's the kind of flavor and style that all fits in on this. And and I give you a, like, we were just joking before we got on, right? Because you said it's the morning and I was like, sipping my coffee here. And I was like, well, what kind of coffee? And I was like, oh, I'm a Chemex guy. And we were talking about your French press guy. So one of the episodes, we were talking to someone who roasts their own beans. Oh, there we go. Like, and like, and I'm like, oh, and then I'm like, like, I could do this. Right. And we're talking about like different kind of rigs. And like, I don't know, a lot of engineering folks are copy geeks. And which ones, what temperature, what size cup does he pour? It's stuff like that that's really exciting, right? And some other funnels. We got a professional cellist that she happens to make it work between like running engineering teams and doing this. We've got folks that are like play international ultimate frisbee still. Like, you know, these are good nerd things and like we all make it work. Like that's the whole premise and it's pretty cool. Well, I also think about like the person who is a cellist outside of work and how that could influence things. Like I'm thinking about all of the lessons and elements that then influence how you lead, like in the poetry of being a cellist and, you know, a cello's role inside of a symphony and how those things orchestrate and work together to make a beautifully complex piece come together. Like the metaphor and the lessons that are cross-functional here, like the potential is limitless, I think, from like the these things. And also too, again, like I, I was in anticipating to be like, okay, maybe maybe Andrew might ask me like, you know, Patrick, what do you do outside of work that gives you meaning? And I was like, oh, I love brewing coffee. And I was like thinking about that. But the the art of roasting coffee to me is like such a puzzle. Um, Because that's just a whole different element of curation. And like, you have to be good at associating flavors with taste, I think, like to be able to get the right level of roast and everything. So I'm I'm all in on on the level of detail to dive into like what people love to do. 
Love it. And then, and then as you know, you figure out, as you learn to drink your coffee while squirrels are sitting down the side of the mountain, we'll get you on the podcast. <laughs> we'll flip the script the other way. Or maybe you and I go to a baseball game together and we do it from there. Well, I think there's a lot of metaphor metaphor for sport. Like for me, what I was thinking about, like, you know, what do I love? And I definitely love learning physical skills. And back a long time ago when I was a kid, I was a, I played baseball and I was, I was a catcher. And like the earliest part of my professional career, I think, you know, before you learn better, you, you kind of default to the patterns or things that you found success at when you were younger. And for me, it was like being a, a catcher was like strategic. It was about resilience. And so all to say, I think we could have a good baseball, a good baseball chat. Maybe we can go to Las Vegas. <laughs> there we go. Las Vegas A's. Where can people find this podcast and, uh, and sign up and hit subscribe? Podcasts available in your, in your, all your favorite podcast channels, um, whether it's an Apple or, or find it via Spotify. We'll have it published out in all these places. And it's called Five to Nine. I think that Google's pretty magic on this stuff. <laughs> find your way to it. Uh, we got some nice landing pages for you. It's exciting. I think we're going to hit it in the next couple of weeks here, crossing fingers, and we're going to roll out the first uh, handful of episodes here on this. And uh, I'm excited. But also look for feedback. Tell me this is boring, Andrew. Okay, we'll edit it. Or, or find other ones. You're like, you know who does some really cool stuff? She does this. Yes, let's let's talk about it. Because I think we all kind of, to your point, always need more hobbies, but also like, I think it's really interesting how other people discover other ones. And, and, and sometimes it's just enough for me to hear how they do it because in itself it's interesting. So I'm excited to share. Look forward to come out in the next couple of weeks here. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited to check out the new podcast. Thank you for helping us prepare for 2024 and focus in on some areas that we can, we can think about. Um, it's always good to have you on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. It's going to be a great year. We're all going to crush it. Get your headspace there, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.